0: Hey, what's good, y'all? This is another episode of our F Your Water Fountain series. So if you haven't listened to our last episode, please go back and listen before continuing with this one. It'll be worth it. I promise. All right, we'll get started right after this short break. So a couple weeks ago, we started this "Fuck Your Water Fountain series to honor little known heroes who engaged in acts of resistance and looked damn good doing it. Like... A Hall of Fame for fly, badass people who aren't really honored in a lot of other places. And in my head, I started imagining what the fuck your water fountain Hall of Fame would actually look like. And the first thing that popped into my mind was this plaque. A small thing posted on the outside of this beautiful five-story building with a message etched into the wood. It says, All who are honored here. The too radical. Too loud. Too dangerous and difficult. Too sure of themselves. Too confident. Too ready for a world that wasn't ready for them. Too mouthy. Way too much lip, heart, and drip, and too much sauce. Too much gall and gift to not also have the audacity, too. Too concerned with their own curriculum. Too often the first to step up and square up. Unfamiliar with fear, too. Comfortable with conflict, too. Too, too Saint Louverture. Too black, too woman, too queer. Far too ahead of their time. Pushed too far, held back too long, saw too much. Finally said, enough. Most people who show up to the Fuck Your Water Final Hall of Fame just rush past this plaque. And today's no different. Everybody's anxious for the new name that's about to be announced and enshrined into the Hall of Fame. Inside the front entrance of the hall, near where the tickets are taken, there's a huge exhibit. In it is a shirt so fly it's only buttoned halfway up. It's the one Cecil J. Williams wore the day he drank ice-cold water out of a whites-only water fountain back in the 70s. It hangs in the hall like a banner in the rafters. And next to it is an open jar of Murray's pomade. A set of fingerprints are still embossed in the gel where Cecil scooped a healthy amount to style his hair, then put on his shirt, stepped out his house, and walked into history. Walk a little further and there's another exhibit. Inside a glass case, there's a napkin sitting next to an open soda bottle. The bottle is three quarters empty. It was being enjoyed for a pretty long time before whoever was drinking it was interrupted by somebody saying something really stupid. Robert F. Kennedy, at a meeting back in the 60s was preaching about progress to a bunch of black freedom fighters who could smell bullshit from a mile away. James Baldwin, Lorraine Hansberry, and a young freedom rider from Louisiana named Jerome Smith. This is the bottle Jerome Smith put down three quarters of the way through and basically told RFK where he could shove it. And the napkin next to the drink is slightly stained, but you can read five words on it clearly. It says, Jerome, You are our greatest hope. Signed, Jimmy and Lorraine. And now today, there's a new name being inducted into the hall. A new light turning on next to the ones above Cecil and Jerome's. I'm excited to see what this one will hold. And our producer, Aaron Randall, one of the curators of our Fuck Your Water Fountain Hall of Fame, is the keeper of this tale.
1: I'm going to tell you about an amazing person, but... Before I even say the name, I have to set the scene with the photo. Okay. It's black and white. It's from the sixties during the civil rights movement, right? And Uh it's all men pretty much. In the background, group of black men, You know, they're pretty snazzy, got their hats on and they're all like at this picket line kind of. And in the foreground, there are three national guardsmen and they're like sticking their bayonets outward, right? And Mm -hmm. in the very center of this photo, is just this badass woman who, like, I guess one of the bayonets is, like, coming towards her. And she's, like, pushing the bayonet out of her way and, like, side-eyeing the National Guardsman. I mean, I feel like you've seen this photo, right? I think I have. I mean, it's almost one of those photos that's so striking.
2: Did she have?
0: Is it the one where she's, like, she has this, like, really, like, don't mess with me, like, don't fuck with me attitude the on her face? The meanest wish a motherfucker would face you've ever seen. <laughs>
1: Yes. Okay. It's like it's All it's so badass. Right. It's almost that. like is this Photoshop? Like this came here. Yeah, be, it you can't know, be like, real. Yeah. It's like is this real? You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. But yeah. it is real. And the woman who is okay. giving that nasty ass side eye, her name is Gloria Richardson, and she I call her Gloria Motherfucking Richardson because she is <laughs> what a total like it's wild how much of a badass she was. Like most mm. people don't even know that she's a like who she is or what she represents. But she mm-hmm. represents so much to just Black liberation and the civil rights movement and the feminist movement and just mm. the bad motherfucker movement and the fuck your water mm. Like she's just, <laughs> she's really like legit.
0: And you can tell by the photo, just how much of a real one she really is. Gloria's in the middle of some kind of clash with the National Guard rocking a fresh white linen shirt tucked into high-waist jeans like she's posing in a catalog. The bayonet's dagger is lined up right underneath her throat, directly at her. And yet, Gloria Richardson still saw fit to serve us looks. For this flex in the face of danger alone, we have no choice. We have to honor her. I'm Saeed T. John Thomas Jr. and this is Resistance, with our second induction into our Fuck Your Water Fountain Hall of Fame. Let's get into it. So, the homie Aaron Randall shares something in common with Gloria Richardson. Not that they need any more hype from me or anybody else for that matter, but like him, Gloria graduated from the prestigious and illustrious Mecca, Howard University. Here's Aaron.
1: She was actually born in uh, Baltimore to a wealthy family. Like she, um, her family for generations had uh, been successful business owners, pharmacists, um like her grandfather was like a city councilman um in mm-hmm. in in Cambridge. When she was young, she moved from Baltimore to Cambridge and like she grew up in like an eight-bedroom house. Like she had money. She ended up going to like Howard. Like she had Was she was she wait, was she was she
0: an AKA? Yes. <laughs> She was. Did right, I guess that? Of course she was. Of course, of course, she, course was, she was, right? Yes. You got money and you go to Howard. You were definitely Exactly. A
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. And you know what's crazy? When she was at Howard, um, she actually... Uh, so a cool thing about her is, you know, usually... Well not usually, but like you always run the risk of like, you know, bougie, well-to-do, rich black folks at that point kind of feeling like they're better than, right? Or like maybe not all the way buying into like the quote unquote struggle. Her family was the exact opposite. Like when she was growing up, yeah, like her pops and her grandfather, they always said like, you need to work to be a credit to your race and to help pull up your race. Like we need to get more folks to where we at. So that really like impacted just like her ethos. And so she and her family moved from Baltimore to Cambridge, Maryland. And I don't know about you,
0: but I did not know much about the Cambridge, Maryland um, civil rights movement. Nah, not Maryland is one of those places where I've heard it's like I've lived in Maryland, but like it's not I don't feel the racism in Maryland, but I've heard that there was like a like a long history of like really racist stuff happening in Maryland because they think they're like part of the South or something like that. Yeah, um, it's in
1: this interesting spot, right? Like, they didn't have the exact kind of, you know, like, visceral mm-hmm. racism that you might have found in the South at that time. But it was still, like, you know, this very palpable form of racism, right? Um, like, you know, most of the Black folks in Cambridge were sequestered into this one ward in the town called the Second Ward. Of of course. And there was a street... Um, this is an actual thing called Race Street that literally divided, like, the Black and the white parts of town. Like, Wait, the shit was called Race Street? Yes, it was called Race Street. Wow. So, like, most Black folks in Cambridge, Maryland lived on, like, I think, like, the west side of the street. And most white folks lived on the east side of the street. And, like, the residents in the Second Ward were actually living in um, homes that literally used to be chicken coops. So, it's just deplorable conditions Many of the Black residents in Cambridge did not have indoor plumbing. And this is 1961, Mm. you know, like that's Mm -hmm, pretty mm -hmm. remarkable to not have indoor plumbing. The hospitals in Cambridge are segregated, right? So um, for most um, Black folks in Cambridge, that meant if they wanted to get any serious medical care, they had to drive Mm. two hours to Baltimore to receive that care. For Gloria, this is a thing that she feels very viscerally. Twice in her life, that um, that racism cost the lives of folks that she, that she loved. Um, her her uncle caught typhoid fever and um, could not get treated in time in Cambridge, and tried to make it to you know to Baltimore hospitals, ended up dying. And her father had a heart attack, and he also ended up dying.
0: <laughs> so. Oh. Because he couldn't they, because he couldn't be treated at the, the local hospital. Exactly. So like. Damn. So she like she so she really felt it like this was like yeah. on her. This was on her doorstep, yeah. like in her family. It killed
1: her family. Literally, the racism in Cambridge killed her family. Damn.
0: Yeah. So what did she do? What did she what did she do about it?
1: Well, to be frank, for like a long time, nothing, so to speak. Like, um, after she came back from Howard, she spent more than a decade as a housewife, and um, it's actually through you know her her kids that she kind of gets going. Um, her oldest daughter Donna actually joined SNCC.
0: Right, And SNCC is the Student Nonviolent Coordinating, Coordinating Committee. Committee, and you know,
1: at that time, it's it's all kids mostly. It's, it's like college and high school kids. It's like is, It's, it's, it's a youth yeah. movement.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And um So that's so her daughter was involved with that? Yes.
1: And mm-hmm. Gloria asked the, the, the SNCC the um, like governing body if she can establish just an an uh an adult affiliate. And they say yeah. And this is called it, it's called the Cambridge Nonviolent Action Committee. This is the only adult affiliate oh, wow. to SNCC ever. Like no, I didn't one's even know ever there was that. such a thing. Exactly. I didn't either. Like I know this even existed, right? Um <laughs> And this is when shit starts to get real, right? So when she gets in <laughs> okay. when she gets CNAC going, she's like, well, oh, CNAC? That's a dope ass name. Yeah, right. Like it just, it, it hits different, you know? I mean, I, I like it. SNC, CNAC, it's cool, right? So she's like, well, we're our own organization, and I'm a grown-ass woman, and we grown-ass people. And um I respect nonviolence. That's my thing. But uh if you blasted if you blast me, we gonna blast back. Her ethos was that if force was applied to black people, they could respond in tow. So wow, yeah, and this energy that Gloria is bringing is like perfect for this moment, right? Because black people, like they are over it, they are fed up, and they want something to happen. So they start protesting. It begins pretty just, you know, it's. Formulaic, you know, black folks protest a thing, white folks counter protest or try to disrupt those protests, right? But Mm -hmm. what the curveball comes, you know, historically or at that period of time, when white folks have seen themselves go against or challenge black protests, they have always seen black folks react with nonviolence, right? So these Cambridge white folks are like, Okay, they're they're pulling this Birmingham shit in Cambridge. Right, right. Let's do what we do and knock them down a peg or two and watch them do this whole kumbaya. We will we will respond with peace and nonviolence and we'll quell this shit in a few weeks. Right. But then they tried that shit in Cambridge and um with 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 the CNAC protesters, and they were like, We're nonviolent until y'all get violent. And <laughs> we're scrapping, we're scrapping. We're scrapping. Um, So like the aggression begins, right? White folks, they begin throwing like rocks at the black protesters. So the black folks throw rocks back and um, eventually like white folks up the ante and they bring out um, guns and black folks bring out guns too.
0: That's what I like to hear. (laughs)
1: She was about that life. She was like she has an actual quote where she's like, yeah, we got guns too. So like when the like yeah. at nighttime um the counter the white folks in the in, in Cambridge would like try to like ride by and shoot and in the in the, at the black residents in the second ward. And the black residents would return fire. And the local paper was reporting, and they were saying that at one point in Cambridge, it sounded like a war zone at night because you'd have white folks firing at black folks in their homes. And black folks in mass, each had their own guns and were firing back at the white people. And um, this went on for, for like a, a few weeks. And the governor was forced to declare martial law and bring in the National Guard. And she was at the center of all this? Yeah. Yeah. I still would wonder, like, how were there not like deaths? Mm, right. But, right. Is that uh, everybody just had bad aim? Like, what, <laughs> like, what are they? Yeah, doing? pretty much. Cause, like, literally, like, there are reports of like, there will be guns fire throughout the night, but then you'd wake up in the morning and like, no one was dead. You know, it's like, I don't know. Like, I guess the people just couldn't shoot. <laughs> <laughs> Gloria made it very clear that, like, if you all don't, meet our demands of, you know, better health care, of more adequate housing, of, you know, integration and dismantling segregation, we're going to continue protesting. And I assume if we protest, you're going to continue counter protesting. And if you do that, we will continue to, you know, respond to the violence that we incur. So mm-hmm. pretty much she told the governor, she told Robert F. Kennedy, the attorney general at the time, because it, he this it had gotten the attention of the, of the attorney general in D.C. She pretty much mm-hmm. told them, like, look, we're going to keep fighting. If you guys keep retaliating, we're going to keep retaliating back in tow. And for yeah. over a year in Cambridge, <laughs> it was pretty much like a low-key war zone. Mm-hmm. And it was in this time that she did two things. Two things happened. She... Played contrarian to many of the dominant and popular civil rights leaders of the time, like Martin Luther King, like John Lewis, mm-hmm. and she um, became a darling of the more radical Black liberation figures like Malcolm X and H. Rad Brown. Moving forward, as a matter mm-hmm. of fact, um, <laughs> she early in the in the Cambridge Movement, she invited Martin Luther King to come, you know, to come and speak and and to march with him. And Martin said he was too busy and said if he was going to come, he would need $3,000. Oh, no.
0: Yes. No, MLK.
1: Yes. (laughs) No. He asked for a speaking fee. He asked for a speaking (laughs) fee. And she told him, you know what? We good. We good on that. Damn. And then get this though, two years later, when, you know, martial laws happen, the National Guard's happening, when she's talking to Robert Kennedy and John F. Kennedy, the president is, is speaking about Cambridge, um, Maryland, um, mm-hmm. MLK offers to come back into town in like 63. And Gloria's mm-hmm. like, nah, bro, we cool. We got this. We're okay. I so, don't need you. So
0: when, when, after Gloria starts popping, he want to come back and do it for free. But he she's like, nah, 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 nah. We yes. good. We good. You missed that boat.
1: Yeah. If you listen uh to um Malcolm X's his speech, um uh, his his grassroots speech, he actually name drops Gloria Richardson. Like he's saying oh, like
0: what does he say?
1: Malcolm is pretty much doing everything but calling like MLK and and his friends like house, you know, like house, yeah. you know the rest. You know, like he's just like, you know. Y'all like have, the
0: relationship is like really like fractured. Yeah,
1: it's fractured at this point. He says, he says, um, what did he say? He said, uh, MLK and them, they control black folks, but they don't incite y'all or or excite y'all. But my homegirl mm. in, in, in Cambridge, she's inciting, she's exciting, she, and she's seeing she motherfucking results. Get, she's got exactly. She got the gas, she went the shit. She, <laughs> yeah, she, not, she not messing around with y'all. Right, right. He's very much saying less MLK, more Gloria. You know, I know y'all all all are enamored with MLK, but the real warrior, the real soldier, the real one y'all should be paying attention to is Gloria motherfucking
0: Richardson. The fucking Richardson. (laughs)
1: Hey,
0: Gloria motherfucking Richardson. Right. When we come back, everyone tells Gloria to chill out. And she says, nah, more than that after the break. What's good, y'all? Welcome back. Aaron Randall, our producer, is inducting Gloria Motherfucking Richardson into our Resistance Fuck Your Water Fountain Hall of Fame. Let's get back into it.
1: So there's just there's this working phenomenon of her like being a darling of the the burgeoning Black Liberation Movement, Black Power Movement, mixed with like the old guard Civil Rights Movement, just being like she's too radical for us. You know what I'm saying? Right, like it's really right, interesting. Right. So eventually she gets a call from Robert F. Kennedy, who at the time is the Attorney General of the United States, right? Um, And he wants to know, like, how can we fix the problems going on in Cambridge, right? So they meet, and it results in something called the Treaty of Cambridge. And this was signed in July of 63. The Treaty of Cambridge? It sounds like some some 1776 shit, doesn't it?
0: (laughs) But yeah Doug, that's what it's called It does but at the same time she, she got a whole treaty a out whole of this. treaty like, yeah they treated her like she was like the queen of this place and yes. they're trying to sign a treaty he that's wild a what is the treaty of Cambridge
1: <laughs> it literally addresses every point that she had been fighting for the treaty calls for the construction of low rent public housing um, it calls for the commission of a biracial human relations commission in Cambridge oh um, wow. It desegs the county schools.
0: Mm -hmm. Please tell me the hospitals are in there. Yeah. Wow. Like, it
1: was an astounding, astounding, astounding victory for not only Gloria, but for the Cambridge movement and for the idea of like violence (laughs) low key on behalf of black people. Yeah. Or bust them back. Yeah. But here's the thing tucked into that were two caveats.
0: Oh my God. Here we go. Two caveats, of course. All right. What happened? Of course. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I, I don't want to like, let you down you sound so sad nah, already nah,
0: it's fine i mean it's just like <laughs> yeah like it
1: just sounded like things were going so great of course it's conditions <laughs> right of course <laughs> it's conditions um so the first one isn't totally like crazy right the first the first one says if we really do these things then you guys have to stop demonstrating but the second one is where shit gets weird um It said that the part of the treaty that dealt with integrating the public spaces in Cambridge, you know, the part that would have given black people more access to shops and parks and banks and some of the hospitals in town, that part could be brought to a referendum, which is essentially like a a public vote. So, So like it was literally saying that that part of the treaty, the people of Cambridge could vote later on on whether it actually stuck or not.
0: Oh. Yeah. So it's a, it's like an it's a possi- it's an out. It's a it's a trap it's door to to back door out of the thing so she was able to secure.
1: Yeah. The civil rights movement when they get rid of this um of this treaty and and and, and this referendum option, they're like, "Uh, eh, it's weird, but still a victory. Yay, yay us, right?" They're like, "I know it's not ideal, but we should take it." But Gloria's like, "No. She, she's like, I am not going to vote hmm. for rights that I should hold innately as an American citizen. Rights that you were already about to give me, I am not going to vote for that. And she decided if a referendum ever happened, that she would instruct the Black folks in Cambridge to boycott. Oh, yeah. like not vote at all. Right. And for many Black folks, like Martin Luther King, NAACP, they were like, God damn woman, like, you know, like you never can just like, <laughs> you know, just like take t- take a W, you know, like in, in their mind, it was like, this is a step forward. And she's like, no, we're not going to beg for a seat at the table that we should already be sitting at. Right. right. And that's the thing about Gloria. Right. Like she's not about small symbolic wins or compromises. Um, for her, it's about the principle. Right. So like the black folks in Cambridge, they do end up boycotting the referendum and they do end up losing. Um, But they did not compromise. And that was Gloria.
0: All right. Okay. So, so, all right. So why do you love Gloria Richardson so much? This woman is, she's a walking,
1: just bomb. Like she dismantles everything that we are told is supposed to be What works? Like, she dismantles what we take as canon for how to fight oppression at every turn. She's just, like, living proof that there is no one way to liberation, right? Like, I think that there's a reason why we aren't taught about Gloria Richardson, I would say, in our history Mm -hmm. books. It's always more MLK, less Malcolm. You know, more the Mm -hmm. nonviolent civil rights movement, less the Black Panther Party. And Mm -hmm. there's something powerful about a Black woman being willing to fight back and not just fight back like theoretically or fight back with philosophy but like literally fight back and to and to right right do
0: whatever (laughs) it takes you know what i'm saying for the good of her people yeah and also like i feel like also like the thing that stands out to me too is that like she used her privilege like she used her money to to do the work of liberating people, right? Or of of like fighting for what's right. That's not something you see like very much at at all. Like she used her money and her hands. Like she would, like that's (laughs) like those two, you don't get those two things. Like you get
1: one or the other. It flies in the face of like what, you know, we're, we're taught it's acceptable as resistance, right? I don't know. I just the more that I read about her, it's just like the more that I just am like, how do how does everyone not know about her? There should be Gloria Richardson, like t-shirts and lunchboxes right. and schools, like you know, like she's and
0: and, and she went to Howard. There, there's that too.
1: Yeah. That's small. That, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's small, that's small. Um Howard That's actually what this is too. about.
0: Is it's entirely because <laughs> she went to Howard.
1: Just another example in a very, very, very long list of badass harrow university bison shout out to my bison HU you you already know what that is i knew it i knew it y'all knew just are it. so y'all should just be so thankful to have us like <laughs> we just do so much for the culture uh-huh. i'm
0: a, i'm gonna I, we're not gonna i'm not gonna critique that right now you we can't critique that, we're, we're that. <laughs> hey, how that can rock. you
1: how can nah, you nah, you got um, it you're right no but now it's like a drum I want to beat forever and ever. Like now it's just like whenever <laughs> I'm going to be like at bars, like, yeah, by the way, you know about Gloria or motherfucking Richardson like, right, cause right, if you right.
0: don't, you should. Back when Gloria was out here organizing in the streets of Cambridge, she didn't compromise, even when it seemed like it was the logical thing to do. She told black folks to boycott the referendum, a vote they could have easily won. But what they would have gained in rights, they would have lost in their dignity and that was too big of a price to pay. The referendum did pass without them and their rights were repealed, but just a few months later, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was signed into law. And just like that, they got what they'd been fighting for without having to sacrifice anything. Gloria Richardson, the queen of having your cake and eating it too. And she's still alive today. She's 98 years old living out here in New York and she turns 99 next week. Happy birthday, Gloria. And your exhibit at our Hall of Fame, I'm imagining a giant version of the photo where you're pushing aside the National Guard's bayonet with such ease. Your white linen shirt, your high waist jeans, the mean mug you wore so well, they're all on full display. And we're so happy to welcome you to the Fuck Your Water Fountain Hall of
2: Fame. Go one way, that's my way Don't try shit Like peaceful solutions But settle for violence I shook the blueprint Your bloopers go viral I could reduce you to dust For my vinyls Go stupid, go psycho My Chevy Albino you me, you
0: Thank you so much for listening. Resistance is produced by Aaron Randall, Bethel Hapte and Salifu Sisei Mac. and hosted by me Saeed T. John Thomas Jr. Our production assistant is Navani Otero. Our supervising producer is Sarah McVee. We're edited by Lynn Levy, Lydia Paulgreen, and Brendan Klinkenberg. Mixing, scoring, and magic by Katherine Anderson. Additional scoring and theme by Bobby Lord. Our music supervisor is Liz Fulton. Original compositions by Drea, the vibe dealer. Fact-checking is by Rosemary Ho. Our show art, is by Darian Burks of the Stuyvesants. In credits music, what you're listening to right now is Southpaw by I.V. Soul. And special thanks to Aaliyah Yates, W.J. Sunday, and Taylor White. If you enjoy this episode, tell a friend about it. And if you have someone who you think deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, hit us up. Send an email to resistance at gimletmedia.com with the subject line FYWF. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at SaeedTTJ, and you can find Aaron on Twitter at Aaron Ronnell. You can follow us on IG at Resistance Podcast. Resistance is a Spotify original podcast and Gimlet production. All right, see y'all in two weeks.
2: For funds. We don't belittle for fun. We don't deliver for the middle. Shoes aside and get tough. Clench your fist if it's up. Never fold if it's true. And know I got your fucking back until we get our just due. Everything was all good till that shit went left. And when that shit went left, I retrace my steps. When I retrace my steps, I had to catch that wreck. Two wrongs don't make a right, but you gon' catch this left. Everything was all good till that shit went left. And when that shit went left, I retrace my steps. When when I retrace my steps, I had to catch that breath. Two wrongs don't make a right, but you gon' catch this left.